If you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Daniel chapter 2, God's plan for the world. As you and I uh, listen to the news and read the papers, we wonder what in the world is going on. That's often a question we ask. Well, God knows exactly what's going on, and believe it or not, He has filled us in on quite a bit, probably more than you think that He has. God has given us some very distinct events throughout the course of history. Daniel is one of those amazing books in which actually there is more prophecy about the future given in the book of Daniel than you would imagine. In fact, it's just full of information that still lies beyond our old, our own time, even though it's an Old Testament book, as you well know. So in Daniel chapter 2, let's talk about God's plan for the world. You know, one of the things that is unique about being a human being is when God created us, He created us with the ability to rule over the earth. That was one of the responsibilities that God gave to mankind. In that, obviously, man is in the likeness of God, and therefore he is able to make plans. But these plans are all under the watchful care of God's ultimate plan. You and I, as we make plans for this week, we submit our plans to God. It would be tragic to submit, not to submit our plans to God because God has an eternal plan. And if God has not planned for those things to occur, they're not going to occur. So this is the reason why life gets a little bit tough sometimes. We're always out there making plans that are not submitted to God's plan, and therefore we become frustrated because we feel like nothing's ever happening. What we're going to learn this morning is why you and I would desire to submit our daily plans to the God who has the big plan. God says he knows the end from the beginning, as we've talked about before. In fact, I've written down three things you always want to remember when you're making plans, whether it's going to work tomorrow, what you're going to do the rest of the week, uh, maybe you're going to go fishing, play golf, whatever it may be. Three things always keep in mind. God has a plan, and it is unchangeable. God is not going to change his eternal plan for me or for you, and I'm glad that he doesn't because his plan is always best. Number two is God has a plan, and it's for his glory, not ours. God does not exist for me. We exist for His glory. So as we go about making plans about life, about this week, let's make sure that our plans include it for the glory of God, just for not ourselves. Number three is God has a plan and, he's, and He desires to use you and me for His glory and our pleasure. If we submit and align our plans to God's plan, we're going to enjoy life. It doesn't mean it won't be some hardships and difficulties along the way, but we will find great pleasure in submitting our plans to God's plan. We want to talk about that eternal plan that God has. Remember in Proverbs chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3, the plans of the heart belong to man. Man plans. God's given us that freedom. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. How it will work out comes from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. I think my plans are best, or I wouldn't make them. You think your plans are best, or you wouldn't make them. But God says all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. God knows your motivation. God knows my motivation. In verse 3 we read, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. There is God's eternal plan. It's the best plan. It is the plan. And when you and I make plans, I want it to fit. 
I want God to say, yes, that's good. I will be glorified in that. And Don, you will be pleased. That's the way we make plans in life. James 4, 13 through 17, you're familiar with. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Doesn't it sound like us? Verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Bottom line is, for me to create my plans and not, got, not give them and submit them to God is sin. It's arrogance. It's to say, regardless of what God wants or thinks, my plan is going to work. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God will accomplish his purpose. All of it. And it is unchangeable. He will not change it for for all of my whining and crying. God will not change it. And we ought to praise him for that. We ought to praise him that we can't buy God off because God has the best plan. And when you and I submit to that, then our life is enjoyable even in the midst of difficulty. So God has a master plan in which all things will come to a conclusion for his glory and hopefully for our pleasure as we obey him. So what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 2, which is a very, a very important chapter as we look at world plans, as we look at what history has recorded for us and what lies in the future. What are the things, what are the plans that God has that are significant for mankind? We read in Luke chapter 1 and verse 24 something that Jesus said, and he said it very profoundly. The verse that you're looking at is in regards to the Jewish people. This verse was written 2,000 years ago. The fulfillment of it still lies into the future. In verse 24, he says, And they, in reference to the Jews in verse 23, will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. If you go back to even in Jesus' time and just mark the history of the nation of Israel, you will see that they have been scattered throughout all the nations of the world because of their disobedience to God. Notice what else he says here. Not only will it be taken captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem, the city, will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus was making a statement that from the time of Daniel, the time of Daniel, the writing of the book, the prophecy of Daniel, that Jerusalem will always be under the control and domination, always under the control of the Gentiles until Christ comes again. You'd say, well, that can't be true. In 1948, Israel became a nation. It became a political entity, but they've never had their peace. And if it were not for countries like the U.S., 
which we don't know how long we'll continue to do this, but if it was not for America, the United States, Israel would not be there today. It's because of the allies that align throughout the world with Israel. It keeps them from devastation. So what we find then, for over 2,500 years, the Jewish people basically have had no control or little control over their country and over their city. This has been historically proven to be true, obviously. And he says it will be this way until Christ comes back literally to this earth and sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. Now what you're going to see on the screen now is a Times of the Gentiles chart. And we're just going to take this in some increments. Number one is we're going to look at the Assyrian Empire, uh, which was 722 B.C. That's when the ten northern tribes of the nation of Israel were taken out into captivity. Still, two southern tribes were in existence in what we call Judah. So they become known as the Judeans. They existed for over another hundred years. Now, when you come to the Babylonian captivity, which is the captivity of the book of Daniel, uh, we find that in 606 B.C. approximately. Uh, there's the Babylonian Empire. Uh, then what, what came after the Babylonians? See how well you know your history. Come on. What came after? What was, what was the big empire that defeated the Babylonians? The Medo-Persians. Okay. They came into existence. All right. And we see the date there around 536 B.C. Now, they lasted for a while, for a couple hundred years. And then what took over? Alexander the Great, the Grecian Empire. Now here's Daniel telling about these things even before they came into existence. This is the reason why the Bible is incredibly unique. There is nothing else like it. It's never wrong. It's never proven to be wrong. And Daniel, who's writing in the mid-6th century, is, is writing of all of these empires to come. And they did. Why? Because God knows the end from the beginning... And he is explaining to the prophet these things to write. Now, who conquered the Grecians? Anybody remember? The Romans. Okay, the Romans come in around, what, 63 B.C.? And uh, so they existed up to around the 5th century A.D. Uh, notice on the next chart, we're going to bring it really up to our day and time, 2010. Now, there is still another kingdom to appear. It's called the Roman Empire. It's very fragmented. It's a future Roman Empire, much like the European common market today. That, that's probably some remnants that we're already seeing in our own uh, day and time. The last empire that exists on planet Earth is the one that Christ will set up for a thousand years, which is called the Millennial Kingdom. Now, we're going to put in this chart here, the times of the Gentiles. Let's drop it down on this chart here. Okay, here we go. Look at that. Times of the Gentiles. What Jesus was saying is that from 606 B.C. until Christ literally comes to this earth again, the Gentiles will basically have the power over the nation of Israel. And that is true today, even though they have a nation. Still, it's the Gentiles that have the power over them. So, this becomes extremely unique, and not only just interesting, but it tells me that God has it worked out. Now, the issue then becomes, am I aligning my life in consistency with what God is going to do, has done, is doing, and will do? 
It would make no sense if I really believe that God has an eternal plan, He knows the end from the beginning, that I'm just out here making plans for my life and thinking I'm going to pull off anything that I can pull off. When I know that God has a plan, there are certain things He's just going to say, that's not going to happen. Wouldn't it be much better for me to know Christ in a personal relationship as a disciple of His, as a Christian, as a genuine believer, and to say, Lord, this is what I'm planning today. This is what I'm planning this week. And I'm asking that these plans will be consistent with yours because I want you to be glorified. That would just seem to make sense, wouldn't it? See, there's another entity in all of this, and that's a factor called sin. <laughs> sin is blinding. Some of you are sitting here perhaps this morning saying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend the time doing that. I'm going, I'm going to pull life off the way I want to pull it off. I'm going to be able to do what I want to do. Man, I am free. That's how blinding sin is. No man is free. There is a sovereign God. God has his plan already filled in. And so wise men submit their plans to God. Well, let's go to the book. Because the big point this morning is this. God was in control at creation. God is in control today, and God will be in control when all things are finished and the heavens and the earth are burned up, as stated in 2 Peter. There is never a time that God does not reign sovereignly over the universe. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, they now are coming down and taking over Judea. God is disciplining His people for their, for their disobedience to His commandments. God is using a Gentile empire to come down to discipline His people. Now the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, thinks he's powerful, he's wise, he's doing this just because he's big and he's powerful. But we're going to realize that God says, no, I'm using you. Isn't it amazing that you and I have the potential to live our lives being used of God for wrong reasons, for wrong purposes. That happened with Pharaoh. God used him for a purpose. But because he was so ungodly, there was no value to it to his life. This is the reason why it's so important that we align ourselves with God's plans. So, verse 1, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. I wonder if God knew that he had dreams. Does God know about your dreams? He sure does, because God is omniscient. There is nothing that he does not know. And so, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and, the, and his spirit was troubled. And his sleep left him. God is creating history. That's the point here. God is using an ungodly king of a a world empire to do exactly what he wants him to do to fulfill God's plan. Verses 2 through 9. We read last week where Daniel was being prepared. He's being deported. He's taken captive to go out into Babylon. And there God is going to use him as a man of God. Notice in verse 2. Then the king gave orders to call in his magicians. The magical arts and ones that are empowered with demonic sources. We read of those in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus. The conjurers, the educators, the sorcerer, the witchcraft, and the Chaldeans, which were noted as the wise men of the empire. 
So he gives a call to them to tell the king his dream. He had the dream, but he doesn't understand it. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. I want to know what this dream is about. Verse 4, Then the Chaldeans, the wise men, spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. (laughs) We can't tell you what it meant unless you tell us. We didn't get the dream. You got the dream. So you tell us what you saw in your dream, and we will satisfy you by telling you what it means. Verse 5, the king replied to the Chaldeans, the wise men, The command from me is firm. It's unchanging. I'm not going to stand here and listen to you guys ramble on about this. I want to know. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. He seems to be serious about this. Verse 6, But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Well, let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. What doesn't that sound human? Verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time. Quote, flagrism. I'm not stupid, guys. Inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, it's unchanging, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Well, I'm not changing my mind. Therefore, tell me the dream, that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Wow. It sounds like it's rather serious. Verse 10. Perhaps God's doing all of this to give Daniel an opportunity to minister on a worldwide setting. How's God going to use you this week? Is it just going to be another week? Do you live life just saying, who cares? I'm just one person on this big planet. I'm just one person in 6.5 billions of people. God's not thinking about me. Oh, are you mistaken. And this very hour, God is preparing to use you tomorrow. God is working in the minds of hearts and people that are going to come across your path. And you're going to have opportunities that you don't know of now to minister. Do you see that? That's what this is about. This is not just about world powers coming and going by the hand of a sovereign God, but a sovereign God who's saying, I'm creating ministries for you. I'm creating opportunities. How many of those opportunities do we just blow on by because we don't think God's interested in us? So in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth. Notice how God's setting Daniel up. There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician or conjurer or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. Hebrew word for impossible. There is no one else 
Who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling is not among mortal flesh? Well, he's not a god, but we've got a Daniel over here that God is going to use. You see it? That's what makes life worth getting up for in the morning. Because this, this is our God. And these people are just setting it up. God's allowing them to voice their dissent, just to act like normal, ungodly men. Why? You're asking us to answer something that no man in the world would ever ask anybody. This is stupid, king. And just setting it up for Daniel to come in a moment. We'll look at it. Now then, notice in verse 11, uh, <clears throat> verse 11, Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. 12. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon, which includes Daniel and his three friends, by the way. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Daniel's going to be killed too. Does God ever put us in the public domain where it's dangerous? Yeah, because he wants to use us. Well, notice in verses 14 through 18 the boldness of Daniel. Now, God has been working for probably three years to set Daniel up for this day. God's doing the very same thing in your life as a believer. Then Daniel replied with discretion. In other words, he puts forth a plan and discernment. He thought through the issue. So Daniel responds to Arach, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, which included Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. Verse 15, he said to Arach, the king's command. Commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arach informed Daniel about the matter that we just read about in verse 16. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him, in t- give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house, informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. Verse 18. Why? What's the purpose? so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven. What do you and I do when we're in a crisis? Do we try to think it through in our own wisdom? Daniel, this is serious because he's going to die, and his three friends are going to die. And so he goes back. He says, give me some time. He goes back. And it says here that they might request, they might pray for compassion. They are requesting God's goodness towards them because they're in distress. They're asking this from the God of heaven, the true God, concerning this mystery, this dream, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed. And notice what else he does here. Daniel is not a self-centered man so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Godly men and women look out for others who are not of them. Isn't that amazing? 
He doesn't say, wow, we got an inside track, guys. Let's three go tell. There'll be four of us that go tell the king and let him wipe out the rest of them. He doesn't do that. He's concerned. And so he says that we would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what does Daniel do with this? In verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It's not my wisdom, it's God's wisdom. Verse 21, he, it is he, God who changes the times and the epochs. In other words, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings, and he establishes kings. Who's the next president of the United States? You don't know. I don't either. But whoever it is has God's approval, for good or for evil. Nothing is a mistake. Does that mean we shouldn't vote? It's already, God's already got up. No, because that's human responsibility. We should vote that which we believe is best for our country. But how neat it is and let God determine who it is. And then obey. Then obey. Romans 13. He gives wisdom to wise men. Wise men do not have wisdom by themselves. Wisdom is given to wise men and acknowledge to men and knowledge to men of understanding. Verse 22. It is he, it is the God of heaven who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. You and I have to turn a light switch on. God doesn't need light switches. He knows. That's the point here. Verse 22. The latter part of verse 22. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. You see any practical stuff here for your life tomorrow? I hope you do. Because God really cares about you. Yes, just little old you. Now, God may not have you on a world scene, but believe me, my friend, that God's plan is intricate down to the very point of who you are and why you are who you are, and it's important for you. This is the living God. We do not live with a God upstairs who has no concern for you. God created you and me, Psalm 139, in our mother's womb, intricately, you are exactly by God's design who he designs you by. You are designed by God. That's the reason why you need to give your life to Christ. Because you're his. And we need to walk in his ways. Now notice when we come to Daniel 2, verse 24. Here's Daniel's ministry. He's been prepared for over three years. He prays and says, God, I'm willing to go to the king. I need your wisdom. And if we can interpret this, then we will be saved. My three friends will be saved and all the other wise men. This would be 
Not good if all were killed over this. He has concern for the world around him. Therefore Daniel went to Arach, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to him. Well, I thought there was no man but the gods, they said, that could interpret this. Well, here's a man. Here's a man who knows God. And God gives him wisdom, verse 25. Then Arach hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar? In other words, that was the new name he had. That was the Babylonian name that Daniel took, or they gave to him. Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurer, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the Lord. Daniel just simply says, this is beyond human understanding. Now come with me just for a moment. Daniel is living in his own hometown with his three Hebrew friends three years earlier. He understands because of the disobedience of the nation of Israel that Babylon is coming down and they're going to be ushered into captivity. And Daniel is deported. He's not whining. I'm sure he doesn't like it. He's human. He'd rather be in his home. But he trusts God to take him to a place to be used. Verse 28 of Daniel 2. However, there is a God in heaven. No man is able to do this, king. Your wise men were correct. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. And here God is saying, here's the things that are going to take place throughout history. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Verse 29, as for you, O king, while on your bed your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. He who reveals mysteries has been known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other. You see the humanity? He's not saying, hey, give me the robes. Give me the medals. Look, I'm special to God. Give me a trophy. He's humble. But as for me, verse 30, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Daniel is saying, I'm just simply an instrument in God's hands. I wonder what the king did see. Well, God records that for us. In Daniel chapter 2 and verses 31 through 35, I don't know if this is the exact, this is a, obviously a... a what we think it might have been. Might have been something more scarier. But anyway, you get the point. Here's the image. Verse 31, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you. And its appearance was awesome. 
The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. It had struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole what? Earth. Now maybe you're like me. You'd say, well, no wonder Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what it meant. That's right. You see, you and I don't understand life either. But we have a God in heaven who is willing to tell us about life. And today he tells us from his incredible revelation that is written and revealed. That's the reason why we read it. We don't read it to get spiritual for that purpose alone. We read it because it's the living Word of God instructing to us, you and me, exactly what life is about and what kind of a relationship we need with this God. And sin is blinding. It makes no sense. But when God interacts and takes the blinders away, you and I as believers would say, it makes perfect sense. I can't do without this book. This is a book for daily living. Now then, there's two maps we're going to put up here because I just want you to see the extensiveness of the Babylonian captivity. I don't know how these colors are coming out on your screen. If you can see the lighter green to the left of the darker one, you might be able to make that out a little bit. Um, obviously, some of you would realize that uh, this is uh, where all the activity has been going on for a couple decades now with Desert Storm and all of those areas. We're going to superimpose now the, the modern countries there. Now that makes more sense to you, doesn't it? You get Iraq, Syria, Iran, Turkey, Jordan, Israel, real part of West or Eastern uh, Egypt there. Now this lighter green, this is a massive empire for that day. It wasn't the total world, but for this known world, that's a massive empire. They were extremely powerful. Now then, what we want to do here is look at verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, now he begins to say, you saw this statue and we're going to define for you what it means. Verse 37. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. What does that mean? Nebuchadnezzar, here's what God says. You wouldn't be standing here today with your great empire unless God permitted it. End of issue. You and I wouldn't be what we are today unless God had given his permission. You see how loving he is. In verse 38, And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you. It is God who has caused you to rule over them. It is God who uses you to discipline Israel. 
And if you discipline beyond what God's expectations of you are, God will crush you. And he does. Because he brings the Medo-Persians in, into the empire. So you see God sovereignly working, bringing nations onto the world scene, taking nations off. And he's still doing that today. That's the reason why you see a Christian at your office sitting back and they're not panicking. They're concerned because there's human beings involved. But they're not in a state of panic. Well, what if somebody touches that button that's going to blow up all the, send all of these missiles and we're going to be annihilated? Doesn't that concern you? No. Why? Well, God's already told us how the universe is going to end. He already has told us what it's going to be like. Nobody's going to push any button. You say, but how do you know that? Because God said so. Concern, yes. Panicky, no. Anxiety attack, no. Why? God can handle it. I just want to be a part. I want to be an instrument in his hand to fulfill his plan. So do you. So he ends this verse 38 by saying, you are the head of gold. That head represents your kingdom. But there's something else you should know. If you'll notice the next image. The Medo-Persians are coming. And so by 539, Babylon is out of here. They're crushed. They're defeated by the Medo-Persians. And the Persian Empire becomes stronger than the Medes. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 39, he says, And after you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. That's the Medo-Persians. More extensive empire, but not as powerful. Now notice the next empire. That's the Grecian Empire. That's Alexander the Great. We're going to read in chapters 10 and 11 of Daniel a little bit later on of how precise Daniel's information is in directly pinpointing Alexander the Great. It's phenomenal. Alexander the Great hadn't even been born in Daniel's day. This is the powerfulness of God. Do you not see his power in your life? Why would I want to ignore God? Why would I want to say, I'm going to live life the way I want to? The worst thing that can happen is God says, okay, go for it. And you end up in condemnation forever and ever and ever. God says, let me show you life. And so in that latter part of verse 39, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. And then there's a fourth kingdom that comes on the scene. That's called the Roman Empire. Daniel chapter 2, verse 40. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you're just adding these names. When we get to Daniel chapter 7, God will add the names. Not only the Babylonians, which is obvious because that was the time, but the Medo-Persians and the Grecians, God just puts it in his word. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 40 about the Roman Empire, there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. is an amazing, amazing history records much about iron in the Roman Empire. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all of these in pieces. And then he talks about something about the toes of this statue. We call it the future revived Roman Empire because as we look back at history, we see that when the Roman Empire was finished and then you have several other empires, and yet there is an empire yet to come that's strange. Notice in verse 41. 
in that you saw the feet and toes of this statue, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay, and the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere. So it's, it's a kingdom that's loosely knit. Now, we have seen other kingdoms after the Roman Empire, but nothing that comes close to this description. And yet there's the possibility we're seeing something today that could be. It's the EU. It's these 20-some nations now that are aligning themselves in Europe for an enormous economic clout, far greater than the United States. And it very well could be that God now is beginning to align this still future empire known as the European Common Market. Already today it has enormous economic power in the world. And they have the capability of putting together a huge military force. Now, we can't predict. We're just saying it's interesting. Since the time of the Roman Empire, we've not seen anything similar to this. It may very well be what's coming. But there's something far more important that's coming after this future Roman Empire that with all of these European nations that are loosely knit together. And it's called the Millennial Kingdom. We've looked at this before. You'll see it at the extreme right Christ's kingdom. This future Roman Empire will come to its death, not by another empire, but by the presence of Almighty God, setting his feet down, Zechariah the prophet says, on the Mount of Olives. And he will bring judgment to the living at the close of the tribulation hour, and he will take about 75 days, as Daniel says in chapter 12, to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And that's the last one. And that's the one that you and I as believers will rule and reign with Christ. I tell you, my friend, when people say, what in the world is this world coming to? Christ and his kingdom. And so we couldn't say that in my office. They'd think you were weird. You are weird. Admit it. You're weird. You know, you know the end. The world doesn't. The world is still confused. The world's still trying to work it out. We are weird in that sense because we have the truth and God's had it in his book for 2,000 years as we know it today. Well, let's read about it. In Daniel 2.44, In the days of those kings, these ten toes kingdoms, and we'll talk about more in Daniel 7 and Daniel 9, in the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be what? Was Babylon destroyed? Medo-Persia destroyed? Greece destroyed? Roman Empire destroyed? Future Roman Empire destroyed? Yes. Here's one that never ends. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch 
as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, normally in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, kingdom or mountains are symbolic of kingdoms, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. I got a question. Can you see Daniel, <laughs> a young Hebrew man, just giving forth what God has revealed to him? No different than you and I this week giving forth what God has revealed to us in this book. Just as powerful. Just as powerful. God doesn't give me a dream of added information. God says, until Christ comes, this is it. This is the authoritative word of God. God's not going to change it. He's not going to add to it. And he's not going to take it away. This is it. This is his living word on printed page. Now then, how does Nebuchadnezzar, I wonder what he will do with Daniel. Will he be pleased or will he not be pleased? Let's read it, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel, worship, and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. You see what's happening? You see, when God is working the events of the world and you and I are not out for our own glory but for the glory of God, unsaved people are going to say, Whoa! There truly must be a God. Wow! I've seen your life, how He's radically changed your life. There must be something to this. When your unsaved friends read the Word of God, maybe you share a passage with them. You can even share Revelation chapter 20. What's this world coming to? Christ's kingdom. Are you going to be in it or are you going to be out of it? Powerful stuff, isn't it? Notice in verse 48, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request. God is elevating Daniel for future ministries. He's going to be ministering not only in the Babylonian Empire, but also the beginnings of the Medo-Persian Empire. He's not there because he's smart. He's not there because he's a powerful individual. He's there because God plants him there. And when you go out to what you consider to be your insignificant job tomorrow, it is not insignificant. God planted you there. And you better enjoy it. (laughs) Thank God for that job. Maybe you can snooze through most of the day because it's so repetitive. Well, wake up a few times just to be a servant of God. This is what we ought to be able to extract from this passage. This is not a history lesson. 
as good as it is. But to say, God, is it possible you could use me the same way? Every day? Are you now preparing people? You're, you're keeping a person restless at night? <laughs> to say to you tomorrow, man, I got no sleep last night. I am a tired doggy. Well, wonder why. I don't have a clue. Well, what do you think God's doing in your life? Who? God. Ah, who cares? You don't have to thump people over the head with the Bible. You just have to know the Bible. You just have to say, God, I just want to be available. That was Daniel's take. Let's read some more here before we close. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. But in verse 49, Daniel does make a request to the king. And he appointed, Daniel made the request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the providence of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Isn't this phenomenal? Who's, of course, Daniel goes out, in the, he and his Hebrew friends go out in the first deportation. That's about 606, 605. There's another deportation of people in 597. And there's a third deportation which just clears the land of Jewish people in 586. And Daniel says, i got a request. Some more Jewish people are coming. And wouldn't it be neat if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was there to administrate over them? Do you think that's just luck? Do you think that's just happen chance? Do you think God is preparing them as well as the prophet Ezekiel, who's a contemporary of Daniel, to minister to these people who have been deported? Folks, you and I will never, ever see most of what God's, how God is using our life. But I tell you, he is. Let's let him use us for his glory. The big point is simply this. God was in control at creation. He's in control today. And he'll be in control tomorrow. And he will be in control from Second Peter chapter 3 when this universe disintegrates and the new heavens and the new earth are brought forth. What are the lessons to be learned this morning? Well, let me stimulate your thinking. Number one is your opportunities for ministry tomorrow are being established today by God. Be prepared. Get prepared. Get a good night's sleep tonight. God already knows how your football teams are going to end. And you can read it and you can look at it on ESPN in the morning. <laughs> That's fine. You watch the football games. This isn't nice that God already knows how it's going to end. But anyway, your opportunities for ministry tomorrow are being created today. God is preparing people some way, somehow. Somebody has a child that's being rushed to the hospital today. 
That's a possibility that will be in your office tomorrow or where you work, and they will need somebody to pray. God never slumbers. There is nothing insignificant that happens in your life and mine. Number two, we should learn from what we read this morning that your ministry is being a servant of God, and he unfolds through the word of God his eternal plan to you. We're not God, and it's not about us. We are the servants of the living God. God, you take me and plant me where you want. Wherever you desire me to be or do, Lord, I'm yours. You say, well, that's a scary thing. Well, I can understand it from a human perspective, but on another perspective, which God wants us to live on, it's not scary. What is so tragic about being in the hands of God tomorrow? I think he can handle it. Number three, your purpose in ministry is to be God's instrument by which he reveals himself. Folks, we really need this in our church today, across the world. There is so much garbage about God is interested in me and making me a happy camper. Now, folks, that's as far away from the scriptures as you can get. That's just a lie. And you can send all of your seed money you want to send to these crooks. I'm sorry. That's what they are. Because your seed money isn't going to change God's plan one little bit. But this is truth. Your purpose in ministry is to be God's instrument in which he's going to say, Don... Tim, Joe, Betty, Sally, whoever you are. I'm going to use you tomorrow to reveal who I am. So please give me credit and not your degrees. And not your IQ. Nothing wrong with those things. Except that they're like mine and mine IQ is still below three digits. So... I don't take a lot of opportunities to expound that. But the point of it is this. He wants to reveal himself to the people where you work and where you live and in the nations around. Let God do that. Let God do that. If God wants you to go back and get more education, go for it because God's going to use it. Just make sure you give him the glory for it. Right? If you become a CEO of a company, God bless you, man or woman. But let Let it be known that you got there by God's decree, not by your own strength and wisdom. Because if God didn't want you there, God can take you away. And he can take me away. Number four, the last one. Be content. Why? It ends well. Be content. It ends well. We're in the hands of an eternal loving God. How do we respond to God? How do we respond to God? Is this just something that happens on a Sunday morning and you have forced your way through 45, 50, 55 minutes? Or do you see this as the incredible word of God? God says, I love you so much. I I am so excited to show you how life can be lived on the highest plane and for the glory of God. I hope you see that.
Because that's reality. Don't miss it. Don't miss it another day. God's given us all the evidence. Incredible Daniel, who was just a young Jewish boy who said, I'll accept where you put me, Lord. Just put me to work. He does. Let's pray. Father, as we pause for a few moments here, Lord, I would be foolish to say I know what goes on in the hearts of people. I have no clue how you work. But I do know this from your word, that you have interacted with the people in this auditorium as well as myself this morning. This makes sense. This is right. Lord, you are working in the lives of people that perhaps today is the day which they conclude is, I cannot live another day without Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what my religious experience has been. It doesn't mean how many aisles I've walked, how many times I've been baptized, how religious I am. I want to know Jesus Christ intimately as my Lord and Savior. I am appalled by my sins of arrogance and all the other sins that your word so vividly describes. And Lord, I thank you that you came for me and died for me and rose again to forgive me of all of those sins forever and ever. And you are willing to make a new creature out of me, same name, live same house, same mail address, same email address, but radically changed forever for your glory. God, you know how my heart longs for that. And right now, Lord, all I know to do, this is as smart as I can get, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to take me and use me for your glory. Thank you, God, for saving me. Lord, for Christians such as we, most of us today, Lord, are we expectant that you're going to use us tomorrow to reveal who you are to the world around us? Lord, correct us, motivate us, cause us to surrender everything about ourselves to you. We belong to you and no one else. And whether the circumstances tomorrow, tomorrow be positive or negative, Lord, we're going to serve you. We're going to let you and surrender to you to use us in the good times as we see it and in the bad times. Because it ends well. And we thank you in Jesus' name.